0: First John chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles on the back table. We do also have outlines. The outlines will absolutely help, but let's open with a word of prayer and we'll dig into the Word. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you. We ask now as we go to your Word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, we don't want the words of man. That's a waste of time. So we pray that the Word of God would pierce our hearts, that we would be strengthened, encouraged, a rebuked if necessary. May we leave here more in love with you than the way that we came. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, so may you grow us in our faith. May you be glorified this morning. Lord, we're here for you because we love you. I pray for anybody who's new this morning, that they would feel welcomed and loved, that we've adopted them already as soon as they showed up, and we just pray that they, again, would just sense your love and your grace and your mercy in this place. Be glorified, we pray. In Jesus' name and all God's people said. All right, so quickly, because it's been a while. I've been a pastor 34 years. That's the first time I missed three Sundays and three Thursdays in a row on purpose. And uh, you know what? We spent some time. I was at a pastor's conference and I spent some time with my family. But boy, we've got some gifted guys in this church teaching the Bible. Amen? Amen. And praise the Lord for that. All right. So first, John, remember the apostle John is writing this to the early church. The church is about 30 to 40 years old at this point, but already they're having persecution from the outside and false teachers on the inside. And the main group he addresses is a group called the Gnostics. The word Gnostic, Gnoska, just means knowledge. And they thought they had private knowledge. They thought they were the ones that had the answer. And, one, and they had two uh, varying groups within the Gnostics. There was one group that taught, once you give your life to the Lord, your, soul, your spirit is saved, but your flesh is wicked, so you can just do whatever you want with your flesh as long as you've given your spirit to the Lord. And uh, we're going to see in this morning's text that gets refuted big time. But our beliefs should be reflected in our behavior. Amen? Amen. And we're not saved by good works, but good works are fruit of salvation. And again, if if our lives don't change, then we haven't truly been saved. And so... There was that group, and so he's going to exhort them. They thought they had private knowledge. They said, you have to come to us. We're the only ones that have it. That sounds like every cult out there, doesn't it? There's nothing new under the sun. Joseph Smith said he had a special word from the Lord, and the Mormon church is a cult, and we love the Mormons. We want to pray for them, but they're following a false gospel because they have a false prophet, amen? The same is true for all the other cults, and you can always recognize a cult because here's what they do. They always make man more and Jesus less. They always hail men and the mormon church for example believes they're going to be god of their own planets and our god used to be a man on another planet and so he's refuting false teaching along those lines he's letting the early church know that not only because of the persecution on the outside to remain faithful this is a time when christians are being fed to lions when standing up for your faith could cost you your life So outwardly, they were being persecuted, and inwardly, they were being, they had false prophets, wolves in sheep's clothing, that were coming in and trying to draw them away from the truth. And guys, you know, the full safe way to not fall for the lie is to know the truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Amen? He is the very definition of truth. So if you have your outline, grab it. We'll go through it quickly. And then we'll dig into the text. I titled the message, a, a Healthy Heart. This is kind of a heart exam we're getting this morning on where we are with the Lord. And, you know, the Bible tells us that man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. And I think we need to be reminded of that more often. Because uh, too often we're more concerned with what people think about us than what God knows about us. And we don't need to worry about what men think or what men believe or, you know, how popular we are before the world, but who we are when we stand with the Lord. So we're gonna have six points here, and the word heart is repeated throughout this entire text this morning. And so first, we're gonna see a confirming heart. True salvation goes beyond what we say into how we live. It's not just what we say that matters, but how we live reflects whether or not we belong to the Lord. And again, not workspace salvation. We're not trying to earn heaven, because we can't. We're saved by grace, right? We're saved by faith, by grace, not of works, as any man should boast. So we've, we've been born again. We're new creations in Christ, but that should be reflected in how we live. It's a radical change of our behavior and desires that give us both knowledge and assurance that we've been saved. When you give your life to the Lord, you've been justified. I say this all the time, bears repeating, just as if you've never sinned. But now we're from, till, till we get to heaven, we're being sanctified. The word sanctified is being set apart unto the Lord. So we're becoming more and more like him being a greater reflection of him. We will never be him. We will never be God. But the spirit of living God lives inside of us. And so the way that we know that we've truly been born again is we're convicted over our sin. Our life begins to change. Our priorities are different. And when people say, how do I know that I'm saved? Because I still sin. Who sinned this week? Hands on up. You're a liar on top of being a sinner. Amen. So we're all sinners in desperate need of a savior. But the difference is before you were saved, you felt different about your sin. And now when you sin, how do you feel? It grieves you. Amen. Because we, wherever we go, we take the Lord with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. And when we sin, we're grieved by it. So there's confirmation of our salvation in the change in our life, the way that we view our sin. And we'll look at a conforming heart. Secondly, a condemning heart true salvation not only goes beyond what we say, it goes beyond what we feel. Whenever the Mormons come to my door, and I'm not picking on that, it just happens to work out in the context here, but they'll always say, I challenge you to read the Book of Mormon and see you if you have a burning in your bosom. And they'll say they believe the Book of Mormon is true because they have a burning in their bosom. And I said, I get a burning in my bosom when I eat a burrito. Can I get an amen to that? but the point I'm making is that they're doing it all based on feelings. Because I feel a certain way, this must be true. The truth goes beyond our feelings. Have your feelings ever led you astray? Have your feelings ever been wrong? But the Word of God is not, and neither is our Savior. And it goes beyond. So there is now, therefore, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? The condemnation comes from the enemy. He wants to condemn you. He wants to say, maybe you're not really saved. He wants to draw you away. And he wants to work on your feelings to have you feel like you're not saved, to have you doubt whether the Bible's true. You know, that's the, Satan is the father of lies. And he wants you to doubt. He wants to draw you away. And again, truth in the, the trust in the truth of God's word. And again, not the lies of the enemy. So we can have a conforming, a confirming heart, a condemning heart, then a confident heart, confident of who we are in Christ. Any confident, we have confidence of who we are because of God's promises. Now we're not confident because we're good. We're confident because he's good. Amen. And this confidence should be an assurance that we can walk with, that we don't have a hope. So we have a no, so we don't hope we're going to heaven. We know we're going to heaven. And it's not because we're being arrogant, but because we trust in the promises of God. Amen. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved to the glory of the Father. Amen? And so when we're born again we have the promise of eternal life, we can have confidence that Christianity is not a hope so. And when I meet people a lot and they find out I'm a pastor and I start talking to them, I'll say, you think, you know, are you going to go to heaven when you die? And they get this, law? I hope so. And if you have a hope so, you need to get a no so. Amen? And then the other thing that we're going to see in the text is there's a confidence not only that we're saved, but the Bible tells us that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Do you know that because of Jesus' death on the cross of Calvary, the veil was torn, and it's now just not the high priest on on, on Yom Kippur, right? Not just him on the Day of Atonement that can enter into the Holy of Holies, but you and I can enter into Almighty God's presence anywhere and anytime, amen? And so praise the Lord for that, and I don't think we take advantage of that enough. Who agrees with that in your own life, amen? We can talk to almighty God. Do you know he desires to have intimate fellowship with you and you are as close to God as you wanna be, amen? And so we have that opportunity, that confident heart, we can enter into his presence. Then we see an obedient heart. And again, be faithful to God. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Now again, it's not a works-based salvation. It's not faith or works or faith plus works, it's faith that works, amen? And so when we give our life to the Lord, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and now we're new creations, we're alive in Christ, and we ought to be radically different than the world. Amen? So we'll see an obedient heart, then a faithful and a loving heart. You know, the the older I get, and the more that I have more and more people in heaven, and the more that I live my life here, the more I care less and less about anything else but the Lord and people. Love God and love people. We're only gonna ta- the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? And that car or that thing that you think you need to be happy, the job promotion, again, do your job as unto the Lord. You know, be the best worker in the building. Be a great neighbor. Love on people. But again, it's only people that really matter. And I have less and less. Co- I just care less about my- I don't care about stuff. As my- I just don't care. Why? Because when we stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day, he's not going to ask you how much money you had in the stock market. Amen? He's not going to ask you, what have you done in the temporal life? Again, when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. May we love God and love people, and they shall know us by the love we have, one for another. And then finally, a spirit-filled heart. The Bible tells us if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. The Holy Spirit, it says in Ephesians 1, is a down payment on heaven. When the Holy Spirit came to live inside of you, that was ownership papers that you belong to the Lord and there's the assurance that you are going to heaven. All right, so we've looked at the outline. Turn your Bible again if you haven't already. Let's look at point number one there. A healthy heart. Man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. A confirming heart. True salvation goes beyond what we say. Verse 19 in 1 John. It says there, and by this we know that we are of the truth. Now, whenever you see and or you see therefore, you have to go back and look at the context. You've heard me say it, if you take a text out of context, I yell, that's a con, amen? So what's the context? Look at verse 18. My little children, let us not love, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. So what he's saying is don't just have love in what you say, but may love be reflected in what you do. And so that's what he says in the previous verse. And so then he says, and by this, we know that we are in the truth. So here's how we know we are in the truth. It's not just by what we say, it's by how we live and what we do. It's not just loving people in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth, love in action. And so as believers, our love should be reflected, our belief should be reflected in our behavior. So this is how we know that we are of the truth. Again, not just a love declared, but a love that is demonstrated. It is seen in our actions. True and sincere confession is revealed in godly character. And again, belief is reflected in behavior. How do you grow in belief? Everybody should know the answer. How do you grow in belief? Really? It's right here. How do you grow? How do you grow in belief? The word of faith comes by hearing and hearing by. So the more time we spend in God's word, the better we get to know him. To know him better is to love him more. And as we spend time in his word, he molds us more and more into the image of our savior. And as he does that, we grow in our faith and we grow in our belief. When I do counseling with people, one of the first questions I'll ask is, how's your devotional life? How much time are you spending in the Word? How's your prayer life? And often we struggle most when we're spending the least amount of time with the Lord, amen? And we're being bombarded by the world, and before you know it, all the things that the world is telling you can cause you to lose some of your faith, some of your hope, and you'll start to get worried about what's going on in the world around us. Look, here's the good news. I read the end of the book, God Wins, Amen? And we know for a fact that when this is done, when this time is coming past, again, when everything we've done, what we've done for Christ will last, and we're going to stand before Almighty God, and all the things we're worried about right now won't matter. Amen? God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind, and belief and faith in the Lord, and the whole counsel of God, and we need to teach all of it. The Word of God is under attack. One of the things about social media, you find out where people are coming from, and it's actually pretty tragic. Amen? And there are pastors that are online saying, well, you know, whether Jesus rose from the dead is not that big of a deal. It's not a a game breaker. You know, whether he's born of a virgin or not. Well, and these are just Paul's opinions. And you read this stuff, and my head just wants to, I want to explode when I read it. But the tragic part is, these are people teaching other people. And the sad part is that that's why we need to know what the Word of God says. We need to open it, read it, and obey it. Amen? Open the Word of God. Let Almighty God, he gave you a love letter. If a meteor landed in your backyard tomorrow afternoon and you and you went out in your backyard and there was a golden plate or something or something an envelope there and it had your name on it and it said message from God how quickly would you read that <laughs> Well he gave it to us it's right here amen and too often what happens is we struggle in life we don't know we don't know what to decisions to make, what direction to take. We struggle in our relationships and how we live our life, and the reason that we do is we don't spend enough time with the one who created us and knows all things. See, John, again, is addressing the early church in a time that they were experiencing, again, outward persecution, at the same time false teachers, and so he's reminding them this is how we know we're in the truth, by the way that we love one another. Again, the Gnostics thought they had received this special knowledge. And they were teaching that you can live any way you want and go to heaven. And that's sadly, it's still kind of true today. And again, we're not saved because we do good works. I keep saying that because someone's going to walk out of here and think that I taught different. But if we're truly saved, it will be reflected in how we live. And I've done hundreds of funerals in my life, memorial services, and, and I've never done one where the family didn't think the person was in heaven. And I totally get that because that would be all of our hope. Amen. But at the same time, you'll talk to people and they never had anything to do with the Lord. They cursed God their entire life. They wanted nothing to do with him. And the sad part is they'll they'll reflect on when they were seven years old. They went to camp and raised their hand. But guys, it's got to go beyond just raising your hand. There needs to be a change in your life. Amen? And so the exhortation, again, is that they were teaching you could be born again and just live like the devil your whole life and still go to heaven. It's fine. And we just know that the word of God doesn't teach that. And he's saying again here, it's the love you have one for another. It's the life that you're living that's a reflection that you do know the truth. There is a connection between belief and behavior. True belief is reflected in our behavior. And if any man be in Christ, the Bible says he is a new creation. Old things have passed away and all things have become new. Don't you love that verse? Isn't it good to know when you gave your life to the Lord, He made you a new creation. He didn't just try to tweak you and make you better. The person you were is dead, and you are now a new creation in Christ. The spirit of the living God lives inside of you. He's written your name in the Lamb's book of life. He will never leave you nor forsake you. No one will ever be able to snatch you out of his hand. He knows you best, and he loves you most. He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever done, and he knows you, and he loves you. That's our God, and we should praise him at the top of our lungs because of that, amen? And that's our God. And I'm so thankful for his love and his grace. And when people would teach, you gave your life to him, just go live like the devil now, it's fine. You know what, if you love him, you're gonna wanna obey him, amen? Bible tells us that the highest form of worship is obedience. So we can know that we're saved. And again, the word, again, to know is gnosko means to know by experience. You know, we don't just know about Jesus, we know him. How many of you know Jesus. Don't just know about him, you know him. You have a relationship with him. My closest relationship on this planet, even above the woman I've been married to for 37 years, is my relationship with the Lord. I have constant conversation with him all day, every day. Every decision I make, everything that I say, it's running through that Holy Spirit filter. I have intimate fellowship with the creator of the universe. Guys, do you understand that all the religions don't have anything like that because their gods don't exist, amen? And they're striving and trying to earn it, and Jesus paid for it on the cross. And we've been forgiven, and we can know by experience. We don't just know about him We know him, we know because of who we've put our faith in. And we know that we have truly put our faith in him if we have supernatural love for one another. It is seen not only in our words, but in our behavior toward others. It says there that we are of the truth. The word truth's getting abused right now. Can I get him into that? My truth, your truth, I have to speak my truth. You don't have a truth. There's not my truth and your truth, there's the truth, amen? It, well, my truth is that two plus two is 11. Believe that all you want, but that's not the truth. And we live in a time now where I'm living my truth and everybody is, you know, it's called moral relativism. It's where everybody chooses what they believe the standard is, and then they're gonna live by the standard that they created. Well, here's the reality, we don't create the standard and, not, and, the, and the laws that are voted into place don't create the standard, the word of God is the standard amen? And so they redefine marriage. It's not marriage because God said, this is marriage. They redefine what a man or a woman is. It's wrong because this is what the Bible says it is. They redefine how we got here. Nothing exploded. Don't you love that explanation? There was nothing, and then it exploded and became everything. Takes way more faith to believe that than almighty God spoken into existence, amen? Amen but that's the stuff that's taught as truth. And so guys, we have to go beyond. We are of the truth, that we are his real disciples, true disciples, and belonging to the truth. We belong to Jesus. Jesus is my best friend. I used to tell you this, I was a youth pastor for 15 years, and early on I had a, a youth group that had a lot of kids that were involved with in gangs and stuff, and, and they would say, well, my homie got my back. I'm like, my homie created your homie, how about that? <laughs> Amen? We have a relationship with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Almighty, all-knowing, all-powerful God is our Abba. He's our daddy. He's our father. We can crawl into his lap. We can cry out to him. He hears our prayers, and he will never take his eyes off of us. I was talking to Chris, who's got a new baby, and I told him, you know, and we all know this if you've had them. I just said, bro, when you, see, when you have that girl, you're not going to ever take your eyes off of her. And he was like, man, I can't take my eyes off of her. I said, isn't it good to know that God doesn't take his eyes off of us? Amen? Now, sometimes you're like, well, sometimes that's not that good. (laughs) Depends on what you're doing. Amen? They got it all backwards, these Gnostics. They're looking for truth in human wisdom, accumulation of knowledge, philosophical debates. I had a guy send me a message this morning, and he said, he said, Uh, you need to repent because you're a pastor that doesn't believe that you can get counsel from the world. And I said, well, I don't believe that. The Bible teaches that, that we walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. We get counsel from the Lord. Amen. He is the mighty counselor. And this guy's a pastor telling me that. And he said, well, we have a a counseling group we send people to. And I'm like, okay, but if they don't know Jesus, I don't need their counsel. They need ours. Amen. It's tragic. It's tragic people are trying to find peace in amassing wealth, through personal relationships, through physical comfort, through human wisdom, through the accumulation of knowledge. They're trying to find the answers, again, through fleshly enjoyment. But it's not human wisdom that brings us to the truth, but knowledge of Christ that makes us wise. See, it's not because how many degrees, I'm not saying education's bad. Some of it is. But doesn't matter how many letters I have after my name, that doesn't make me wise. The Bible says the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Amen? And so, I would rather get counsel from a guy who, who left school in the third grade and loves Jesus than someone who's got 47 letters after their name that doesn't know God. Amen? And so, the exhortation again here is that human wisdom brings us, does not bring us to the truth but knowledge of Christ. It's not the accumulation of knowledge that helps us find truth, but walking in the truth that gives us understanding. The truth is not defined by philosophical debate, but the truth is defined by Jesus Christ. He is the answer, amen? Elvis Presley once said at the end of his life, I would give all my fame, all my money, everything I've ever owned for 30 minutes of peace. And you know how you have peace? You know the Prince of Peace, amen? The Bible says that through the Holy Spirit, love, joy, peace, and our peace comes from Him. Worldly riches and fame, personal relationships, positions of power, physical comfort, but not knowing the Prince of Peace, again, only through Him can we have everlasting peace. And what Satan wants to do, he's the father of lies. And He will get you to question and doubt. He will attack you, He will condemn you. And again, the way that we have victory over that is to spend time in the presence of our Lord. Again, as Christians, we don't know the truth. It says there, we are of the truth. Read that. We are of the truth. We don't just know what the truth is. We're of the truth because Jesus is the truth, and we have been adopted into his family. The fruit of our intimate fellowship with the one who selflessly laid down his life for us is that we too selflessly lay down our life for others. You know, Jesus died for us. You know every wicked, vile thing you've ever done that you've never shared with anybody else. And then yet we can become judgmental of others. And one of the things that God put in my heart a few years ago is holiness for me, grace for everyone else. What that means is, that, Lord, examine every aspect of my life, be there any wicked way in me, convict me, and help me to walk in the center of your will. But when I look at everyone else, I just want to love on them and show them grace. But too often, here's what the world does. Grace for me, holiness for everyone else. They want to be given every extra opportunity and chance in the world, even though they're, they're walking in open rebellion, but then they're very judgmental of everybody but themselves. And that's tragic. Tragic. To truly know Him is to live for Him and is to live like Him. Amen? I haven't heard it many times in my life, and I think it's a standard that's hard for us to think we could ever get to, but it's an exhortation in the Bible. We should live in such a way that people see Jesus in us. Amen? Anybody convicted by that besides me? Amen? Amen? Remember that the next time you want to get in an argument, the next time you want to blow up on your boss, the next time you want to get mad at the guy in traffic, the next time you're about to get in an argument with your spouse, just remember that we should respond in such a way. What what would Jesus do, right? To to respond in such a way that brings glory and honor to his name, to live for him and to live like him. And it's demonstrated in selfless love. Greater love hath no man than this, that he what? Lay down his life for his friends. Then it says, and he shall assure our hearts before him. It is the existence of this selfless, others-focused, unconditional, agape love in action that assures our hearts. The word assure there in the Greek means to convince, persuade, or set to rest. It has been set to rest. It is finished. It is paid in full that if you've given your life to the Lord, you are going to heaven. And people continue to struggle with that as Christians but still have moments of doubt and wondering if they're really saved, and that comes from the enemy, not from the Lord. Again, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, and this agape love in action is evidence that the Holy Spirit lives in us. For you and I as believers, our assurance is, of course, not in ourselves, but in Christ, not in our works, but God's great grace, but that being said, our assurance that we have indeed became, when we became new creations in Christ, the evidence of a changed life. So often when you ask people where they are with the Lord, and I'm not saying this is wrong because I do altar calls, but they'll point to a day when they raise their hand. And I think that's wonderful. But I also know that over the 34 years, all the, the many people I've prayed with, not all of them truly, got, truly were surrendered to the Lord. We've all met people that may have walked an aisle and prayed a prayer, but you know, it's a parable of the sower, right? Some of it lands on hard ground, some of it gets choked off among the thorns. And so, the real evidence that someone's been saved is not just saying, well, I walked an aisle and I prayed a prayer back here. And praise God for that, and that can be where it begins. But really w- that we know that, that we've been saved is that, well, I used to live this way, and now I live this way. The word repent means to turn. It means to change your mind. I was headed in this direction, and then I met Jesus, and I turned around, and now I'm going this way. That one of the greatest examples in Scripture is Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus to go, uh, you know, persecute, uh, bring Christians back to be fed to lions. He was a persecutor of the church. He held the coats while they stoned Stephen to death, the first martyr in the New Testament outside of Christ. And then he had a head-on collision with Jesus Christ, and he became the apostle Paul, who God used to write most of the New Testament, and arguably maybe the greatest Christian who ever lived. That's called repentance. Amen from persecuting Christians to following Christ with your whole heart. And guys, there needs to be more than just a prayer that we prayed. Where's the change? Where's the transformation? I was headed in this direction. Then I met Jesus, and now I'm headed in this direction. Again, doesn't mean our lives are perfect, but our priorities change, our passions change. If the Holy Spirit truly lives in you, you won't just walk an aisle and pray a prayer and then return to your lifestyle, but everything about you will be different. It may not happen immediately over time. Your attitude will change, your priorities will change, your passions will change. Before you, get to, you get, give your life to the Lord, it's, I have to go to church, Right? Or you'll go because you did something bad and you kind of want to get a brownie point with God if he's really there. And people come for the wrong reasons. And and the reality is, that's not a a loving agape relationship with Almighty God. See, when we come and hang out with God's people, it should be a get-to, not a have-to, amen? We get to come and hang out with God's people. We get to use the gifts God's given us. We get to, every time we gather, we're having a family reunion, amen? And I love to hug on you guys because we're all family. And what would, what would the Lord do if he was here? He'd stand at the back and hug on you all, and we'd all wait in line as long as it took. Amen? So there's this, uh, that agape love is evidence of a transformed life. And again, our priorities change, our appetites change, and it's not just in your words, but in your action. And again, when a loved one dies, we often look for a way to believe they're saved. And it does say in Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It says in Romans 10, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And this is, of course, true. The moment the confession is made, we're born again, but the fruit of true repentance will progress beyond words. It says in James 2, thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is such a fine line. I know I'm because you have churches that teach, you got to do these 9,000 things and hope you get to heaven. There's people knocking on doors trying to earn their way to heaven. We know that's not true. Jesus died on the cross. It is finished, paid in full to tell us die. Amen? And then you have others on the other side. Well, you walked an aisle, you prayed a prayer. Your life doesn't ever have to bear fruit. doesn't matter. That's what the Gnostics taught. It says in James 2, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble, but do what you want, but you do not, but do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead. We're saved at the moment of confession, if we really mean it. If we repent and turn our life over to him, then again, it's then that we are truly saved. Beyond confession to a new creation, blessed and excited every time someone prays that prayer, but again, we need to there needs to be a transformation. As Marlea said, if Sunday doesn't if Monday doesn't change, Sunday doesn't count. If we give our life to the Lord, will we never change in the way that we live? Have we really been born again? Let us not, it says in First John, we just said, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Holy Spirit, conviction and the knowledge of our sin and guilt and depravity and the reality and the divine wrath and the righteous judgment of God drives us to a place of brokenness and confession. And then the Holy Spirit brings us to conversion. We come to know the Lord, and we're no sos not hope so. So it's a confirming heart, a heart that knows that it's saved. And my prayer is, if you're here this morning and you don't know that you're saved, you don't know for sure that you're going to heaven, please, before you leave, come talk to me, one of the pastors. We'd love to help make sure you have that assurance. But as believers, it should not be a hope-so. It should not be something that we battle with every day. I'm not saying we don't have moments of doubt because we all can. But the truth is who we are in Christ doesn't change. So if we come from a confirming heart to a condemning heart, true so salvation goes beyond what we say, but true salvation also goes beyond how we feel. It says in verse 20, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. Isn't that good? If you had a Bible and you underline stuff, that's a great verse to underline. If our heart condemns us, the enemy is the accuser of the brethren. We can feel condemned. And again, we're feeling condemned. So our feelings sometimes can overshadow what we know to be the truth. And in the midst of that, our hearts condemn us. And then it says, but uh, condemns us. God is greater than our heart. Isn't that good to know? God is greater. Amen. He's greater than our doubts. He's greater than our condemnation. He's greater than those times when we feel like we're not saved. The word condemns there, it's katagonosco. It means against to know, to know something against someone, to find fault with blame, to accuse, to condemn. While true salvation is revealed by more than just words, but in our actions, the context in sacrificial selfless love that we exhibit toward one another, true. Salvation goes beyond what we say, and it goes beyond how we feel. Have you ever felt like you're not saved? Raise your hand. You did something like, dude, I'm probably not even saved. I would go to India, and uh, for seven years, I went every year, and I would teach between, you know, a few hundred up to seven or 800 pastors how to study and teach the Bible. And a lot of these guys were coming out of Hinduism and out of Islam. And I would spend the week, you know, 10 days, these guys, 12 hours a day. And I got to know them and really love these guys. And you would think we're going there to help them, to instruct them. And then they would take me out to their village churches that they've planted. And you, and you walk into this little village and there's, and one of the villages I went to, there were guys there with spears and loincloths did, weren't happy I was there. And, and I'm, and one of the guys, the pastor that was training was interpreting for me and I'm sharing, and these guys are getting closer and closer and they don't look too happy. And he's looking at me, he goes, just keep going. Don't worry about it. Just just keep going. I'm like, you're not worried about it. He goes, if they kill us, we're going to heaven. Just keep going, bro. Just keep going. And these guys, when they would plant a church, they would go out and they would dig two graves. They would go out two by two and they would dig two graves and they would tell everybody in the village, if you, if you kill us, you can just bury us over there because we're not leaving, and we're going to stay here and tell you about Jesus. Now, I would walk away and go, am I saved? Because these guys, (laughs) these guys are living radical. Amen? And there are times through our own failures, or when we look at somebody else's life, and we, am I saved? Do I know the Lord? Again, that condemnation comes from the enemy. While the conviction of the Holy Spirit is a good thing, mark of true salvation. It drives us to live a holy and sanctified life. Condemnation is not a good thing. Again, it's one of Satan's greatest tools. Again, it tells us that he is the father of lies. It's interesting that he's the father of lies and Jesus is the truth. They're, They're just the polar opposites when it comes to the truth. Satan is a liar. He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. He hates you. He hates your marriage. He hates your family. He wants you all dead. If he can't take you to hell with him, he wants to render you ineffective for the kingdom of God until you get to heaven. But the good news is, Satan can't touch us unless God says so. Amen? God is in charge, and at the same time, everybody in the Bible used mightily suffered greatly. There's no example of anybody used mightily that didn't suffer greatly. Guys, if he can get us to walk around feeling defeated and disqualified, he knows that our lives will bear little fruit. And I want to encourage you to step out in faith, to quit, not be satisfied with a saved soul and a wasted life. Don't allow the condemnation of the enemy to tell you that you can't. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen. We have a lot more ministries we'd love to be doing here. By the way, you know, some of the people that taught while I was away, some of them was their first or second time teaching, and they got out of their comfort zone and did it. And you know what? They're going to continue to grow in it. The enemy will condemn you and tell you that you can't. You can do all things through Christ. Satan's attacks can impact our emotions. Quite often, it's just our own human frailty that renders us ineffective and has us feeling condemned and defeated. But Jeremiah says this, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? If we were to be honest this morning, most of us would admit that we have times we've allowed our feelings to get the best of us. We're feeling condemned. We're feeling inadequate. We're feeling like we can't go on. As our hearts are wicked, our feelings aren't always based on facts, Why it is very dangerous to base our decisions on our feelings alone. While the world wants us to expose our feelings, how does that make you feel? Tell me more about how you feel. Tell me more. I really don't care. Tell me what the Word of God says. Amen. Amen. That's kind of heartless, Pastor Dave. Again, if our feelings lie to us, why do we put so, so much faith in our feelings when we need to put our faith in the Lord? Amen? The Bible says, Delight yourself in the Lord, He'll give you the desires of your heart. And that doesn't mean when you delight yourself in the Lord, He gives you what you want. You know what happens when you delight yourself in the Lord? You want what He wants. Amen? Your priorities change, your passions change. The Lord would have us examine our feelings in the light of Scripture, be led by the Spirit. There's our faith in Christ and the truth of God's word and his promises that saves us, not our feelings. Not living our lives based solely on the emotions and feelings that we have It's far better. You know, I just feel, I just feel like it's okay that I do this. I just feel like it's okay. And then I'll say, what Bible verse confirms that? But I just feel. But, but I'm in a unique situation. Everybody I've ever counseled is in a unique situation. I'm in a unique situation. I know he's not saved, but... He's so nice to me, and he has a nice car and a good job and a house with a swimming pool. So, I just feel like God's going to be okay with this. Show me a Bible verse. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. If you do that, you're in sin. But I just feel our feelings lie to us. Amen? Be careful. God is greater than our heart, and praise God that our salvation doesn't depend on how we feel. Amen? It depends on the promises of God, the character of God. No one can ever separate us from the love of God. He who the Son sets free is what? free indeed. We no longer walk around under the bondage of condemnation. It says at the end of it, he knows all things, every sin, every shortcoming, every thought, and yet because we have been redeemed, he condemns us not. When when God the Father looks at you, he sees you through the shed blood of his Son, and he sees you perfect, holy, righteous, just, and redeemed. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. That's how he sees us. And yet, because we have been redeemed, he does not condemn us. He's adopted us into his family, and we need not be ruled by our feelings or a condemning heart. Thirdly, a confident heart. Look what it says in verse 21. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him. When we come to truly grasp the fact that our God is greater than our feelings and the enemy who would condemn us. By the way, Satan is not even the opposite of God. He is toast compared to God. Amen. He's the opposite of Michael, the archangel of anyone. And Satan is a defeated foe and the devil can't make you do anything. Flip Wilson was wrong for you really old people in the room. Okay. (laughs) Devil can't make you do it. Satan again, he is the accuser of the brethren, but our God is greater, and God is for us. It says in Romans 8, what shall we say when we say these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justified. Who is he who condemns? God has justified you. The enemy wants to condemn you. There is now therefore no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? It's Christ who died. And furthermore, he's also risen. He's at the right hand of the God. What is, what, what is Jesus doing right now? He's praying for You, you ever think about that? I don't have as much time to go through it. But remember, in the old covenant, they would come to the bronze altar. And at the bronze altar, they would take the sacrificial animal and they would Put, they would put the blood on the four posts, they would tie it down, and they would sacrifice the animal. And then they would take the blood of the animal for the sacrifice, and then the, the priest would go and cleanse himself in the bronze laver. He could see himself covered in blood, and he would be cleansed of the blood. And then we'd open the, the, the flap and go into the holy place. Not the holy of holies, but the holy place. And there was the table of showbread, and, and there was the golden lampstand, then there was the altar of incense. And, and one day a year he would go through all of that and go into the Holy of Holies, and there was the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant of the covenant had two cherubim on each side and the mercy seat covered it. We know inside it had the law. It had Aaron's rod and had a jar of manna because Jesus is the word. He's the great high priest. Amen. You know, and, and so, and he is the word. And so what would happen is only one day a year, but here's what happened when Jesus died on the cross. We don't need the bronze altar anymore because it pointed to the cross. We don't need the bronze laver anymore because we have already been cleansed through the shed blood of Jesus Christ, amen? We walk in and the table of showbread is God's provision, was God's provision for the priest, he is our provider. It was the light that illuminated the holy place and he is the light of the world and he will never leave you. And the altar of incense was this incense that went 24 hours a day into the presence of the Ark of the Covenant and now Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and the veil's been torn and we can enter into the presence of Almighty God anywhere and anytime and thank you, Jesus, for all of that. Amen? Guys, we're no longer contempt. We're not bringing lambs. Aren't you glad? Can you imagine we were dragging lambs and goats in here every week? And we were, it would be a bloody mess up here. But Jesus paid the price, amen? You know, we can have a confident heart. Confident of who we are in Christ, confident because of what He did on the cross of Calvary that we are forgiven. The word confidence in Greek speaks of a most valued right of a citizen of a free state to speak His mind unhampered by fear or shame. It's a confidence that we have in Christ. And thank You, Lord, that I can be confident in you and that you are seated at the right hand of the father praying for us. Now, part of that confidence, it says there in verse 22, and whenever we ask, we receive from him. Now, this is an abused verse. People on TV will say, whatever you ask, and they'll say, can you manifest words? And don't say that word. You'll bring it into existence. You can create nothing. God created everything. Well, I'm going to create it. I'm going to manifest it. I'm going to say Cadillac, 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 and there'll be one in my driveway. You know what I mean? And there's this mentality of that we can manifest evil, we can manifest negative, and that's why we shouldn't have these negative man. None of that's in the Bible. And when it says here, whenever we ask, we receive from him. So the the point is, if we're walking with him, if we have confidence in him, if we're walking, if we have a fellowship with the Lord, if we're born again, new creations in Christ, if we spend time in his word, we can come boldly and confidently and ask of him because we're going to want what he wants. Amen. We're going to want, that's, and by the way, in Jesus' name is not just some, you know, holy uh, crackers you throw on top of something at the end of a prayer to make it good. When you say in Jesus' name, you're saying according to Jesus' will. Amen? People will pray for the most ridiculous stuff and then add in Jesus' name at the end. Jesus doesn't, no, he doesn't agree with that. Amen? We pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. And when we pray, it should be something that we know they all would agree with. Amen? Does that make sense? Key to answer prayer is learning to ask for the right things. We can ask in confidence. Again, it's John 16. It says, verily, verily, I say unto you, whoever shall ask the Father my name, he will give it. It's, again, it's not a magic formula. What it is, is it's learning to know his heart and to know his will. It says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lust. That's in James chapter 4. It says, you ask and you don't get your prayer answered because you're asking amiss. You're asking contrary to the word of God or the will of God. You're being driven by your own flesh let's finish up an obedient heart. Look at the second part of verse 22 says, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Notice he says, and whatever we ask, we receive because we keep his commandments and do things that are pleasing in his sight. See, we, our prayers are answered because we are obeying him because we are living according to his word. So that means that what we pray for will be in agreement with his word. Does that make sense? People love to read the first half. Whatever you ask, who has to give it to you uh, as long as we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. If you want to be married, and that's a wonderful thing, you should be praying for a a godly husband or wife, and you wait for the person God has for you, and you don't settle for anything less than his highest. Amen? And everybody who's who's single is going, it's for the married people to say that. But... (laughs) A life of obedience leads to a life of answered prayer. We have not because we ask amiss. Amen. So a confident heart, an obedient heart, a faithful and loving heart. Look what it says here in verse 23. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and love one another as he has commanded as he has. As as gave us his commandment. When Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, what is the greatest commandment? And, you know, there were hundreds of commandments. And Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And all the other commandments hang on these two. If we love God, we won't have other idols in front of him. Amen. We won't take his name in vain. We won't, right? So, and if we, and if we, Love people, we won't commit adultery, right? We won't steal from them. We won't, we won't get it, we won't murder them, right? All the commandments are built on love God and love people. If we can just love God and love people, then we will be walking in obedience to the Lord. Amen. This is the singular commandment. And again, this would be if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you put your faith in him, prayers are answered by believing who he is, and by loving one another. And I'll tell you what, one of the things I love about our fellowship is that we truly are a family, and we truly do love each other. Amen? And I'm thankful for that. I mean, I love you guys. Love you guys. I was asked if I wanted to take a church in Hawaii when I was there. I wasn't even going to bring it up. But I said, well, I'll pray about it, but no. <laughs> because you're my family, and I love you guys, and I don't want to stay here until I go to heaven. But, you know, but the, and God can do with our lives whatever he wants. Be moved by the Holy Spirit, not by Zillow. Can I get an amen to that? You know, everybody's moving to Tennessee and Idaho and Texas and Arizona. I can get what? For $100,000? I can get a million acres? I'm going. And that's what I... We want to be led by the Holy Spirit and we want to surrender our life. He can do with my life and your life whatever he wants. Amen? But that being said... Just love God and love people and be blessed to be right where you are and be faithful right where you are until God tells you different. Amen? Finally, it says there in verse 24, now he who who keeps his commandments abides in him and he in him. By this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. The word abide there literally means to stay put. You know, he who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, John 15. I am the vine, you are the branches, he that abides in me. So if we're grafted into Jesus, he's going to flow through us. We're going to be tools that he uses and, that, and fruit's going to come through us only because we're grafted into him. But the word abide there can also mean to stay put. So just hang on to the Lord to continue to trust him. When you're going through difficulty, don't run from him, run to him. You know what? The world goes through trials and doesn't have the Lord, and I don't know how they do it. And as most of you know, in the last year, a little over a year, my mom, my son, and my brother all went to heaven. And the truth is, if I didn't have the Lord, I don't know how I would do it, but because I have the Lord, because he sent his son to die, I'm going to see my son again. And he's a gracious God, a faithful God, and a loving God. I thank him for the 28 years he gave me, allowed me to be his dad. I can't wait to see him again, but I want to finish strong for Jesus because other people need to hear about him. Amen? And we can have that, a faith that hasn't been tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And if we're abiding in him, if we're hanging on to the Lord, it doesn't matter what happens in the world around us, because God's got us. Amen? He's holding on to us. He will never leave us. He is such a faithful God. If we abide in him, he's given us his spirit. And his spirit not only convicts us, but what else does the Holy Spirit do? He what? He convicts us and he what? He comforts us. His name is the comforter. And he comforts us. And when you're in the midst of difficulty, he will comfort you. The Holy Spirit is also a down payment on heaven. He's the seal, he's the pledge that you belong to the Lord, that you've been adopted into his family, that you're going to heaven. And thank you, Lord. What is assurance of the Holy Spirit? feel like. It's just something we know deep down inside. The difficult thing is it uh, c- can be real good at talking ourselves into not listening to the Holy Spirit in our lives. Again, if we're grafted into him, we will become more like him. So a healthy heart, a little heart exam for all of us, a confirming heart. Do you know that you know that that you're going to heaven? Has it been confirmed in you because you've read the word of God? You see what it says. You know it to be true. You put your faith in the Lord. Is there true salvation goes beyond what we say and it's seen in our actions. We see how, you know what the reality is there are people in this church that do things that you don't even know they're doing and they do it because they love the Lord and they're doing it for the Lord. Amen. Secondly, a condemning heart. True salvation goes beyond what we feel. Don't don't base your relationship with the Lord on how you feel in the moment. And again, our feelings can are real, we feel them, but they can also be wrong. And we need to know that the Lord allows us to have feelings for a reason, and that's okay. But in the midst of that, don't allow your feelings to lead you. Keep your eyes on the Lord even when you're hurting. A confident heart, confidence in who we are in Christ when we truly grasp the fact that God is greater than our feelings, the enemy who condemns us, and the Lord is on our side. God is for us, who can be against us. An obedient heart, quit worrying about what being popular with men, but be faithful to God. And if you love him, you will keep his commandments because you trust him. I've heard me say this again a lot. The word of God is not a fence to keep you out of Disneyland. It's a guardrail to keep you from driving off a cliff. He's not trying to keep you from fun. He wants to keep you from harm because he's your heavenly father and he loves you. A faithful and loving heart. May we love God and love people. Just love God and love people. And then finally, a spirit-filled heart. If we walk in the spirit, we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He abides in us. He's holding on to us. He's not going to leave us. Again, we're going to see him again. We're going to see the Lord face-to-face when we get to heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. We thank you for the, the word of God and the truth that it proclaims to all of us. I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. And Lord, I ask right now, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. It has to go beyond just raising your hand and praying a prayer, but the Bible does say, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before my Father in heaven. And even if you raise your hand right now and you pray this prayer with me, if there's no true repentance, if you don't mean it from the depths of your heart, it really won't mean anything. But if you've been convicted during this message, or you've been a hope-so your whole life, and you want to be a no-so, I want to know for sure, I believe that Jesus is God. I'm ready to surrender my life fully to him. I'm going to give you a chance to make that confession right now. I'm not asking you to join a church. I don't want anything from you. Just give you an opportunity to know that when you leave here, that you've truly been born again, and that the Holy Spirit is with you, and God will never leave you nor forsake you. If that's your heart, I just want you to raise your hand right where you are so I can pray with you. Anybody at all, God bless you. Anybody else, God bless you. Anybody else, the Lord loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you. For those of you that raise your hand, you can just repeat this with me. You can repeat it out loud or in your heart. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning and I confess that I'm a sinner. Lord, please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he died on the cross, and that he rose from the grave. Lord, thank you for forgiving me, for filling me with your Holy Spirit. Help me, Lord, to turn away from the life I used to live and to surrender my life to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said...